You may be seated. Let's pray. Lord, we come before you today ready to hear the words that you have for us. Transform us by the power of your grace, and may your Holy Spirit lead us in this time. In the precious name of your risen Son, we pray. Amen. I have a confession. I am not musically talented whatsoever, but I like my music really loud, really loud. So I'm sorry to Pastor Jessica because she has the office next to mine because sometimes I crank it up. And I'm sorry to my wife because I crank it up to 11 at home and I scream out in my singing voice that sounds more like a shriek and I just have a good old time. But all that being said, I've wondered what would be on Jesus's Spotify playlist. What CDs would be in the little like flip down thing that's in your car that's ancient now where he would put all the CDs? What would he have in there? Sinatra? Johnny Cash? I hope so. Justin Bieber? What would be in there? I don't know. When he would be finishing up a table in his carpentry shop for Chip and Joanna Gaines, what would he be listening to? Would he be humming Sandy Patty? Corey Asbury? I don't know. It's fun to speculate. But what we do know is that Jesus sung King David's soundtrack, the Psalms. This was the songbook of Israel, the songbook of the Jews. Memorized, sung, felt. Just think of how many lyrics you can remember compared to scripture verses. It's a really easy way to memorize scripture. They sung them. And if these were the songs that Jesus sung, it is the book from which he quoted the most scripture throughout the Gospels. We thought you just might want to tune in to learn how to sing, feel, and think just like Jesus Christ. So welcome to our new series, Songs of Jesus. In the 21st century, we know a lot about music. When that song that you've wanted to listen to that's been knocking around in your head all day is only as far away as asking Alexa to play it, we have music for all areas of life. Music for when you need to pump up for that sporting event. Music for the breakup. Music for when you're happy. Music to remember the good old days. Music to remember that you should leave everyone else and run off into the sunset with the only person who loves you, your Silverado. There's music for everything. And so if you may have noticed, the Psalms is the same way. There's a psalm for every emotion under the sun. This psalm that we're looking at today starts out more on a depressive note. When you don't have joy, how do you get it? When God seems distant, how do you reel him in? When you're going through a trial, when enemies are suppressing you, oppressing you, how do you get through? As the deer pants for water, so my soul 
thirsts for you, for the living God. Sets the tone for the entire psalm. What is the hungriest that you have ever been? Maybe you were fasting for an extended period. Maybe you were a wrestler and you had to make weight so you couldn't eat. Or maybe there was a scarce amount of food available in a time in your life. What's the hungriest you've ever been? Do you remember what your body did? Your stomach starts to sound like thick, squishy mud. And your smell reaches this new level of intensity where you can smell the malt vinegar on the french fries the county fair over. Things happen to your body. You're hungry. You're thirsty. There's a difference between being hungry and it's within your reach and being hungry and it's outside of your reach. A deer doesn't just have a water cooler sitting in their forest office. They don't carry around an algae with them wherever they go. They have to go and travel for their water to flowing streams or to a lake. And if that river or that pond that they've always gone to, that their mother showed them to when they were a fawn, has dried up, they have to go find another one. And it doesn't take a scientist to know that water is pretty essential to life. If the deer doesn't get water, it'll die. If the psalmist doesn't get God, doesn't find his presence, he's doomed. As the deer pants for flowing streams, so my soul thirsts after you. The psalmist thirsts for God. His stomach growls for God. He doesn't feel like God is close. He's far off. And to make matters worse, not only does God's presence seem hard to come by, but it seems that he's got enemies around him reminding him of that fact, where's your God at? Doesn't look like he's there. Pushing in the knife further and further, beating him down with words. And so naturally, where would your mind go in a time like this? When times were better. When times were better. So he recalls how wonderful it was to be in the temple of God with God's people singing praises to him. How rich his presence was. And how there weren't enemies surrounding him, mocking him, because they were running in fear at the might of God. How great was that time. How great was that time? It's sort of like when you grow up and you realize that being an adult isn't as fun as it's cracked up to be. Um, As you found out at local church conference, I just turned 26, so I got to get off dad's insurance finally. Uh, You find out that there's no monetary incentive for doing your chores anymore, and that sweets start to have an effect on your midline. Um, It was so much better just to be an ignorant fifth grader with a Game Boy in one hand and a Hershey bar in the other. So I think the poet, Brian Adams, said it best in the summer of 69. Oh, when I look back now, that summer seemed to last forever. And if I had the choice, yeah, I'd always want to be there. Those were the best days of my life. 
those were the best days of my life. Those were the best days of the psalmist's life. Thank you. It's the only applause for singing I'll ever receive. <laughs> so, the psalmist is longing for better times. He wants to go back to when days were good. God seems distant, and he can't find his way out. He doesn't understand how he got there, and he doesn't understand on how to rise above it. Does this sound familiar? Does it sound like you right now or at some point in your life? where God seems distant, where you're going through a trial, where everything around you is depressing, hopeless. You feel doomed. We're not supposed to be like this, right? We're supposed to have the joy of the Lord in our hearts. But nonetheless, it always seems to roll around. There's this language in the church that we use, mountaintops and valleys. Mountaintops and valleys. Mountaintops are where you want to be. The view is nice. God's presence is rich. All of your spiritual disciplines are just coming back with great yields. It's like coasting down a big hill. You could just keep going on forever. Your spiritual life could be on SportsCenter's top 10 plays of the week. It's great. It's awesome. It's easy. God was near. Everything was good. And then... I didn't put it on the slide, but I think it's appropriate to talk about the meh space. There's this place that's in between. There's this gray area that's in between the valley and the mountaintop that's just meh. Not everything is, nothing's really great, but nothing's really horrible. It's just meh. But then there is the valley. God doesn't feel close. You want to find yourself in the bliss of his presence like you were on the mountaintop, but everything seems to be going wrong. You're going through a trial. There are enemies that surround you. Those could be actually people. They could just be circumstances. They could be the voices inside your head, the voices of worthlessness, negativity, and more. Nothing seems to be going right. You go back to the same spiritual practices you did when you were on the mountaintop, and they seem to be dry. Scripture seems to be dry. You're sitting in a worship service, you're like, why am I even here? The song that used to once bless you no longer has an effect. You're asking, what's the point? You may even reach a point where you think, have I been duped? Does God even really exist? Have I been fed a lie? Because shouldn't he be around me? The valley is really longing for the mountaintop. It could be any combination of the things that I just described, but all in all, it is a situation that you want to be out of. God seems distant. The weight of it is stressing you out, and you don't understand how you've gotten here. The valley doesn't discriminate. You will find yourself in one at some point. So not to be totally negative, but if you find yourself on a mountaintop now, you better be prepared for the valley that will come because it's probably around the way. If you've met a Christian who said they've never been through a valley, you just met a flannel graph character. Okay? Everything's hunky-dory for them. The valleys always come. They don't discriminate. The people that you think are the most spiritual people around you have struggled with it. Pastors struggle with it. I 
have struggled with it. Seasons of depression. Seasons of, what's even the point? I don't even feel God. I don't want to read the word. Nothing seems to be happening. God, where are you? Do you even exist? Is my calling a fake? Valleys don't discriminate. And people who are much farther down the road than me, much more worthy of honor in their spiritual lives than me have struggled with it. In Diana Groover's book, Companions in the Darkness, she reveals that people like Martin Luther, the initiator of the Protestant Reformation, the reason there's more than just the Catholic and the Orthodox Church, where the Lutheran Church traces their roots back to, struggled with the valleys. Charles Spurgeon, the prince of preachers, struggled with it and once said, God's people sometimes walk in darkness and see no light. There are times when the best and the brightest of saints have no joy. Mother Teresa, one of the highest examples of Christian compassion, struggled with the valley, struggled with this depressive season of feeling like God was distant in the latter half of her life. And Martin Luther King Jr. struggled with the valley. The valley doesn't discriminate. It happens more times than you think, and it will happen to you. It's just a reality. So if the valleys are going to happen, how are you going to get through them? How are you going to get through them? Because essentially when Jesus said, pick up your cross and follow me, he was saying, follow me through the valleys. Follow me through the valleys. How would we endure? How can we endure? What's the secret? How do we get out? How do we climb out? Well, let's go back to the psalmist. Is there perhaps a problem that he fixes? Is there some sin or disobedience in his life that he needs to correct? Or maybe, what if it's the fact like he's done something to his enemies to get him in this situation? Except the psalmists tend to be pretty honest. And I think that if he had done something wrong, he probably would have admitted to it. I would argue that this guy even thinks that he has done everything right. So where is God? Why have you forgotten me? Why do my enemies mock me? Aren't you supposed to be with me? So it's not a problem he can fix. But what if he just doesn't have enough faith Shouldn't he just be able to name it, claim it? Lord, I believe you're there, so I'm going to feel you in a second. Except God doesn't work like that. The very reason, the very fact that he gives us his presence is an act of grace. And so we can't expect it in its richness all the time because otherwise he's just like a genie in a lamp. Then he's not an authority we are. That's not how God works. So he doesn't have a problem, and he can't make God arrive. So what is it? It's going to seem really obvious, but first, he gets honest. He gets honest about his situation. He admits he's in the valley. My soul is downcast within me. Lord, you have forgotten me. It's important to note that God doesn't need to know this. He already knows it. You, he needs to admit it. It's the first step. Get honest. He needs to admit it, that he's in the valley. 
But then what? I'm drawn to these words. These things I remember. My soul is cast down within me, therefore I remember you. What if the remembering of the temple wasn't just whining for better times, but was an act of endurance? I remember the time in the temple. I remember your faithfulness from Jordan to Mount Mazar. I remember that your steadfast love is with me throughout the night. I remember. It's because the mountaintops are gifts for the valleys. The mountaintops are gifts for the valleys. He's encouraging his heart. Of course it would be better to be back in the temple, but it can't always be that way. It is from his memories that he's able to log back that even though it doesn't feel like it right now that God is good, that he has some proof back there that happened to him that proves that God is still faithful, even if he can't feel him right now in this moment. So get honest and remember. And then this is where it starts to get weird. He talks to himself. He talks to himself. He talks himself out of it. He chooses hope. He chooses hope. He remembers God's grace in the past, and he talks to himself, Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. He has reason to think, he has evidence that God is going to come through again, even if he hasn't come through right now in this very moment. He will come through again because he is faithful. That is his character that was revealed to him in the past. But I want to ask you this, what if he never remembered that? What if he had that experience in the temple, but he never logged it away in his mind? I think he would have given up. He had actively made it a practice of remembering God's faithfulness. If you want to be able to pull it out of the file, then you have to have filed it in the first place. Okay? So he chooses hope. Hope in God. I have reason to believe that you will come through again, Lord. I think this idea is best summarized in actually some verses from Psalm 43. Because Psalm 42 and Psalm 43 are meant to be read together. You'll notice that there's similar wording between the two. Verses 3 through 4 of Psalm 43 say this. Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I'll go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy. And I will praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. He knows, he proclaims, that even if it's not now, there's a time coming where God will come through. There's a time coming where God's presence will be rich for him again. Even if he doesn't know when it is, he knows that it is coming. He gets honest, remember, and remembers and chooses hope. Why are you cast down, O oh my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. For I will again praise him, my salvation and my God. 
And at this point, I think it's necessary to have a little side note. The psalmist feels like God has left him. But God's omnipresent. He doesn't leave him. His presence is different, but he never left him. When we feel like God isn't present, it's not that he's left. It's just that his presence has changed. God never leaves us or forsakes us. Of course, that still means that it's difficult because we like the times. It is easier when God's presence is rich. We don't want to be without it. Of course, it's difficult. So how does that play out a little more practically for us? Let's look at it again. Get honest. Is your prayer life honest, vulnerable? Do you actually admit to God, what you're struggling with? Have you identified that you are in a valley? Remember, God already knows. You just need to admit it. It's simple, but not always the easiest thing. And then second, remember. Remember. But you have to make a habit of learning to file away those good times. When you have a mountaintop experience, take a second to file it away. So, one time I was hiking to the mount of, uh, top of Mount Leconte in the Pigeon Forge area. Longest hike I've ever been on, so a rookie, okay? So, um, but the group of people, we had like slaved over getting up to the top all day, and we get to the top, and I remember one of the people in our group didn't want to get a little bit closer to the edge so we could get a decent picture because they were too afraid of heights. And I'm not talking like I asked them to get right on the edge. I wasn't asking that. Just like 10 to 15 feet within the edge so that we could crop out the people that were around us so we could have a nice picture. But he didn't want to do it. I'm like, you hiked all this way. You did all this work and you're not even going to take a good picture? Eventually we got him to do it. But I think that just illustrates the point. How are you going to remember the view if you never take a moment to take it in? Take the extra moment to file it away when you have mountaintop experiences. Of course, that doesn't help you if you're in the valley right now, except for future. But if you're in the valley right now, you need to think back on the things that you can remember. What have been the times that you remember that God's presence was rich, that God was faithful? You need to start making an encouragement file that you can go back to, whether it be a video log on your phone or a scrapbook, whatever you want to do, so you can reach, back that, reach that back out and look at it and say, no, even though I don't feel like it right now, I am building a case against myself to prove that God is still good, even if it doesn't feel like it right now, because this is the truth. So get honest and remember. And then choose hope. I'm giving you permission to talk to yourself. It's no longer weird. Talk to yourself. Take a moment after you've remembered to talk yourself out of it. It doesn't mean you have to feel joyful. It's just an act of endurance. It's not some magical thing that's going to change your mood. It might, but more than anything, it's an act of endurance. It's an act of hope, looking forward to knowing that God will come through again. 
Choose hope. And let me tell you something, folks. There's good news that the psalmist, I don't think, was aware of. Because he was just looking forward to another time in this life where there was a mountaintop. But the good news is that we look forward to a holy mountain. Mount Zion, where all of the valleys will be leveled out. There will be no more tears or mourning or crying or pain. You always have that to look to, even if you can't see what's right ahead of you. That is the eternal hope. That's the highest mountain, the greatest experience that you will ever have. So you always, always, always have that. Choose hope. Talk to yourself. Remind yourself of Christ who is coming back for us one day. Hold on, brother. Hold on, sister. But what do you do? What do you do if you get honest, you remember, and you choose hope, but you're still really deep in the valley? Maybe you have a medical problem. Maybe you have clinical depression, and you're, you're walking through this. How do I endure? What do I do? I'll add an extra step. Get wise. Be wise. There are things that the Lord has given us in this world that don't fix the whole problem, but help us to endure William Cowper, a guy who wrote hymns and struggled with depression, had a saying, easy chairs are no friends to cheerfulness. Easy chairs are no friends to cheerfulness. It's not going to fix your problem totally, but you need to get active if you aren't already. You can just ask my wife. If I wake up and I'm irritable and I go for a run, I come back and I want to open an ice cream shop and give all the profits to charity. It's great. Just ask her. It's amazing. It doesn't fix the whole problem, but it helps me to endure. Helps me to endure. And in that same vein, put good fuel in your body. Don't eat junk. There's a connection between this guy and this guy. I promise you. Eat good food, stay active, and don't isolate yourself. That is the worst thing you could do. Don't isolate yourself. Surround yourself with people who are going to tell you the truth. Don't walk this alone. And if all of that is still not working, go and see a counselor. Go and see a counselor. I've seen a counselor. I will probably see a counselor again at some point. It's okay. It's okay. Go and see a counselor. Be honest. Remember, choose hope, and be wise. But now we're going to transition to a time where I'm going to invite the band up, and I'm going to offer you an opportunity. If you are in the valley, to take the first step to get honest, to admit that you are in the valley. They're going to play as the deer. And we're going to proclaim our thirst for God and his presence. If you feel like God has been distant, if you are going through a trial that you don't know how you're going to make it through, if you're surrounded by circumstances that you don't understand, the altar is open for you so that we can pray over you and help you to begin to endure through the valley and look up to the exit on the other side. And if you're on the mountaintop or in the meh, 
space. I want to challenge you to come and pray over those who come to this altar who are in the valley to encourage their hearts, to let them know that they're not alone, to proclaim the truth over them, that God is still good, even if it doesn't feel like it. Even if it doesn't feel like it. So don't let this moment pass. If you're in the valley, let's get honest so you can begin to walk out. Let's pray, and the altar will be open. Come as you feel led. Lord, (laughs) our walk with you is not all mountaintops. It's not all sunshine and rainbows. But you are with us even if we can't feel it. And we just ask in this time, that your loving presence would surround us and remind us that you suffer alongside us and that there is a holy mountain named Zion that you are taking us to at the end of days. In the name of your risen son, we pray. Amen. Come as you feel led.